Good afternoon. My name is Brian Parks, and I serve as one of the elders here at Covenant Hope Church. Let me add my welcome uh, for those of you who are visiting for the first time or maybe the first few times. Really glad you're here to join with us and worship the Lord and hear from His Word. I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself a really basic question, what is a Christian? Is it a person who believes something specific? Or is it a person who does something specific? Or is it people who get baptized and become members of a church? Or is it a person who's born into a Christian family? What, most of all, should mark a Christian's life? In the Apostle John's Last chapter in his gospel, he records for us Jesus's post-resurrection personal encounter with Peter. And that conversation and John's concluding comments paint the picture of the typical life of a Christian for us. Now, last week we read about Jesus's resurrection appearance to the disciples as they fished uh, in the nighttime on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus had risen from the dead, and it was a fruitless night of fishing for them. They caught nothing. But as dawn broke, they spotted someone on the shore who called out to them and told them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And when they did, their empty nets caught so many fish that they had to count them just so that they'd never forget the miracle. And of course, it was Jesus. Jesus had appeared to them a third time. And then Jesus did something unexpected, simple. He cooked them breakfast on the shore and fed them fish and bread. Simple, kind. He did it not just to feed their empty stomachs, though. He did it to show them something about who he would be to them, even though he would soon ascend to his Father in heaven. He is the miraculous Son of God who sustains his people. It was an object lesson for them to imitate. And Jesus spells it out now in the last half of chapter 21, and he makes it clear to them. The first half of chapter 21, we could say, is Jesus feeds his apostles. The second half of chapter 21, Jesus calls his apostles to feed his sheep. And feeding sheep isn't just for apostles. It's for everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. It's the last chapter in the book of John. I'm going to read it out loud to you. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to have one in front of you, it would be helpful for you. Uh, just raise your hand and we'll have someone at the back bring you a Bible. And we want that Bible to be our gift to you. So if you'd like a Bible, just raise your hand. Someone will bring it to you. But if you turn to John 21, I want you to follow along with me as I read. Verses 15 to 25, the very last paragraphs of the Gospel of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not yet to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have fed us with your life, your life, your death, and your resurrection. We praise you because we are empty and hungry. We need living water because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But you came and you drew us and you fed us with yourself, the life that's in you, and you gave us new life, eternal life, and the promises of being with you forever and ever in heaven. Oh, Lord, we praise you for these promises. We praise you for these things that you have done for us, and we praise you for all the things that you will do for us in the future. We trust you. In Christ's name, amen. Spend your whole life building up others in Christ. Spend your whole life building up others in Christ. Now, I'm deliberately translating some of Jesus' language in this passage to more common everyday words and phrases to help drive home Jesus' message to us in this passage. Jesus says, feed my sheep to Peter. And I'm telling you, build others up in Christ. That's what Jesus means. He says, follow me, essentially, to your death, to Peter. And I'm telling you, spend your whole life for Christ. Christ. 
You get the idea. Spend your whole life building others up in Christ. First, we want to look at build up others in Christ. Build up others in Christ. And we see that in verses 15 through 17. Now, the five disciples who had gone night fishing, finished breakfast on the beach with risen Jesus, and then Jesus engages Peter in a conversation. And he doesn't ease into it by talking about the weather. His question for Peter is deep and moving and right to the point. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter's answer, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, why might Jesus ask Peter if he loves him more than these other four men love him? Why would he ask that? Well, because Peter was the one who had boldly declared to Jesus on the night of his crucifixion, I will lay down my life for you, said Peter. Peter didn't say, we will lay down our lives for you. And Jesus knew that when Peter said, I will lay down my life for you, that Peter was being prideful and arrogant when he made that promise. And now Jesus is calling it out. But there was no further rebuke from Jesus. The question itself was enough of a rebuke. Instead, Jesus' reply is this new command, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks a second time, and Peter answers. And Jesus gives the same instruction, tend my sheep, just slightly different wording. And then comes the painful third repetition of the question. Of course, it was painful because Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' arrest and before his crucifixion. He didn't even want to be associated with Jesus. John even tells us that Peter was grieved because Jesus had asked a third time. And Peter added what was probably a slightly exasperated, Lord, you know everything to his answer. Jesus' commission to him is the same. Feed my sheep. All throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has used figurative language when he speaks about himself. He talked about the person who drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. He talked about himself being the bread of life. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd for the sheep. And, And other kinds of figurative language like that to communicate who he was and why he had come into the world. And here, it's not different. Jesus isn't telling Peter to start up a food distribution ministry when he says, feed my sheep. He's commissioning him to gather the people together who become Christians through their witness to Jesus And build them up in Christ. Feed them Christ. He's saying, I've fed you with my words and my works. Now feed my followers with those same words and works. Feed them me. That's what they need. Now there's so much to learn from these three verses. 
First of all, if Peter can be restored from failure of his denials to then become a faithful servant of Christ that we know he became, so can you. Failure doesn't disqualify you from following Christ. If you turn to Christ in repentance and receive the forgiveness that he's ready to extend to you. Some of you perhaps are here today. You might have drifted away from the Lord. Maybe this is your first season in a long time of even coming to church to hear God's word and worship with God's people. Perhaps it's because you've not been living a life that's pleasing to him and you know it. And the Spirit is making you so uncomfortable in your sin that you're here. And you're probably still not comfortable. And you're hoping. You're hoping that he's really as gracious and kind and forgiving as the Bible says he is. Friend, I want to tell you, He is. He is gracious and kind and forgiving. The Lord is always ready to receive the truly repentant. And and we are praying as a church that you could sing the words to that song that we sang earlier in the service and mean it when we sang, No fate I dread, I know that I am forgiven. The future, sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave for me, we might add, and for you, you might add. Let him restore you. Resolve anew to follow him wholeheartedly today. Jesus' question is important for us, too. In a sense, he asks us the same question. Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? Can you say to him in prayer, I love you, Lord? Is your love for him evident in your life? Would those around you say, yeah, he or, or she loves Jesus. I can tell. There must be some affection for Jesus in every true Christian because every true Christian knows that he has forgiven their sin. He's shed his grace on them, not just Christians in general. J.C. Ryle says, What, after all, is the great secret of loving Christ? It is an inward sense of having received from him pardon and forgiveness of sins. Those love much who feel much forgiven. We aren't forgiven because we love him. We love him because we're forgiven. Let me say that one more time. We don't, we aren't forgiven because we love him. We love him because we are forgiven. If you feel your love for Christ has grown cold, the embers of your love, they're barely glowing, you could say. Search your heart as you search the Scripture. Know your sin. Identify it weekly, even daily. And then get to know both His holiness 
and His grace and His kindness that's greater than all your sin. That's the secret to fanning the flames of your love for Christ. We also see in Jesus' commands to Peter the primary task of an apostle, and by analogy, an elder in the church as well. It's to build others up in Christ. Peter would later write in his epistle, 1 Peter, in chapter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You see, Peter was an apostle and he also considered himself an elder. Feeding sheep, is what you should expect of your elders in Covenant Hope Church. Feeding sheep, the sheep of the, of the Lord, in any church is what a church should expect of their elders, in fact. They are men whose primary role is to build up the members of the church in Christ. And that primarily happens in their teaching and discipleship, focused on Jesus, on His commands in the New Testament, which is the apostles' interpretation of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and how it applies to us in the here and now. That's what the New Testament is. And that's what we use to build up others in Christ, the Gospels and everything after them in the New Testament. Faithful elders build up others in Christ with Christ-centered teaching. The teaching is often more in more formal settings, like this service, for example, or, or maybe the core classes that happen on Sunday mornings or Wednesday night Bible study or other times when we gather and there's teaching from the front. But building up others in Christ also happens one-on-one and in smaller group settings as well. It happens formally and it happens informally. You should expect that of the elders in Covenant Hope. I want to speak to those elders. And so Mark and and Michael and Shannel and Keshav and Josue, this is our calling as elders, to feed Jesus' sheep. Brothers, I want to remind you, these are not our sheep. They're Jesus' sheep. And so we should take great care and great responsibility in doing it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us to be faithful to Jesus' command. Please, we need your prayers. But this command to build others up in Christ isn't just for elders. The New Testament makes it clear that Christians are to imitate the life and ministry of faithful elders. The captain of a football team, for example, has an additional special role compared to his teammates on the field, but the team should imitate him as he plays on the field alongside them. They should imitate his skills and his drive and his spirit. He runs and they run. He passes the ball and they pass the ball. And so in the same way, the elders have an additional role, but we're all the sheep of the Lord. Even the elders are sheep in the Lord's flock. But we're all more than that. Every member of the church is called to shepherd one another, 
to feed one another Christ. And that's why there are so many one another commands in the New Testament. It's all about feeding one another, looking after one another, tending one another. Elders are to equip the members of the church for the work of ministry to one another, says Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. How? He says in verse 15 of chapter 4 in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So it's a lot through what we say to one another. Or later in verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Or like in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, doing what? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We are to teach Christ to one another, brothers and sisters. Apply the gospel for one another in the variety of circumstances that we find ourselves. This is what all Christians are called to. Not just apostles, not just elders. If you're a Christian, you're called to build up others in Christ. Are your conversations with other Christians in the church sprinkled with questions and conversations about how you're doing with the Lord? They should be. What you're reading in Scripture, talking about that together. How you're handling the challenges in your life with guidance from God's Word. Christians are marked by building up others in Christ. But we have to press on in this text. There's so much more here. We could stop and pause Because the conversation that Jesus has with Peter reveals that building up others in Christ is the vocation, the calling, you could say, of a Christian's whole life, even to death. And so that brings us to the second point this afternoon. Spend your whole life for Christ. First was build up others in Christ. Second is spend your whole life for Christ. And we see that in verses 18 through 22. Jesus saves his last truly, truly statement for Peter right here. Peter had said he would lay down his life for Jesus, and he didn't. But now Jesus predicts that he will eventually lay down his life for Jesus by dying on a cross like Jesus. You know, Peter couldn't have laid down his life for Jesus before seeing Jesus go to the cross and then rise again. That's why the crucifixion and the resurrection is crucial, absolutely crucial to understanding the purpose that Jesus had on the earth. It's crucial for us to live the Christian life too so that we can spend our whole lives for Jesus. John's gospel was the last of the four gospels to be written. And we see based on verse 19 that the time, by the time John penned his gospel, Peter had been martyred. Look in verse 19. John gives us this commentary. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. John knew 
because Peter had died by the time he wrote this. Even though the sources outside the Bible that speak about Peter's martyrdom are not strong, they are there. We should assume them to be true based on what John tells us here. Scholars believe that Peter probably died by crucifixion in Rome under the emperor Nero, who was cruel to Christians. One thing that's clear from what Jesus says here is that Peter's death would glorify God. And what else could a Christian want but for their death to glorify God? What's important to realize, though, is that it's not so much the manner of Peter's death that glorified God, as if being crucified is more glorious than dying peacefully in your sleep. The fact is that we don't get to choose the manner of our death. We just don't. God decides that. What is important to ensure that your death glorifies God is that you live, is the way you live your life. Surely John's death, which didn't come by crucifixion and didn't cut short his life, he lived to a ripe old age, was equally glorifying to God as Peter's was. A person who spends their life for Christ, building up others around them in Christ, trusting in Jesus' promise of eternal life, having lived ready to die at any moment and meet Jesus with confidence, that person glorifies God in their death. In other words, a death that glorifies God is the one that caps a life of faithful trust in Christ. And so you and I make sure that our death glorifies God by choosing to spend our lives for Christ and His purposes in the world right now. What are you living for? What is your goal? If it's Christ and His gospel and His church, does that show in the choices that you're making in your life with your time and your talents and your treasure? That's why we're members of a church together. We're committed to helping one another live a life now that guarantees that our death will glorify God no matter when or how it comes. And we see also in these verses, 18 through 22, that Jesus is sovereign over the circumstances of our life. The situations that we're born into and the things that we face, whether easy or hard, as soon as Jesus had told Peter that he would die a martyr's death, he orders him with the same urgency with which he told him to feed my sheep. He says, follow me. And he says it again after Peter asks how his life will compare with John's life and death. And Jesus' answer? Well, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Brothers and sisters, there are so many aspects of our life circumstances that we don't have control over. But be assured that Jesus does. And that Jesus loves you. 
He's orchestrating your life, even with all of your sin, for your good, if you're trusting in him. Do you trust him with the life that you have? The circumstances that you're facing? Just like Peter, you're called to live your life for Jesus with the circumstances that he's sovereignly ordained for you. Don't compare your life to others and covet their life. You're called to live your life for Jesus, whether it's hard or easy. And in both, Jesus is there. One Bible commentator references one of the Chronicles of Narnia novels, if you're familiar with those. C.S. Lewis wrote one of, uh, he wrote all of those novels, but one of them was called The Horse and His Boy. The Horse and His Boy. And it depicts this idea through a conversation between Aslan, the Christ figure lion, and a boy named Shasta by recounting the ways that Aslan had been present during all the events of Shasta's adventurous, adventurous life. So Aslan is recounting to him how on one occasion he drove the jackals away while Shasta slept to protect him. And on another, how he propelled a boat to safety that Shasta was on. And as Shasta, the boy, listens to Aslan recounting all these circumstances, he realizes that his life has been shaped by the grace of his Savior, Aslan the lion. And he asks, then it was you who wounded Avarice? It was I, Aslan answers. But what for, Shasta asks. Child, says Aslan, I am telling your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Don't envy the life that another person has that you consider to be an easy life, perhaps. A life of ease may seem like it makes putting food on the table easy, but that life will have many, many spiritual dangers and possible pitfalls which are even more dangerous to the soul of a person than the material challenges that others face. Paul could say in Philippians chapter 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not because he believed that he could accomplish any, any difficult task if he just had enough faith. That interpretation misses the point by a wide margin. No, he could say that because he trusted in the sovereignty of God over his life circumstances and he found contentment in Christ no matter what. Jesus called for all Christians to spend their whole lives for him in another way too, one that's directly related to what he was calling Peter to in our passage. But it speaks volumes to us as well. You see, when Jesus said, follow me, he was beckoning Peter and us to follow him to the cross, to take up our cross. Mark records Jesus saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
Peter eventually would literally take up a cross and die on it. Now, on the other hand, John lived out his days in exile on the island of Patmos. Now, what was the same about both men was that they both denied themselves and spent their whole lives for Christ. That was the same between Peter and John, though their lives were different. They said no to their own goals in life and made Jesus and the building up of his people their goal. Brothers and sisters, don't waste time. Don't waste another minute living for yourself. Follow Jesus by taking the path of the cross in your life. You'll never regret it. It's the path that leads to resurrection power in your life. And be careful that you don't misunderstand. Cross-bearing doesn't refer to the unavoidable circumstances about which some people might say, well, that's my cross to bear. No, following Jesus in cross-bearing is voluntary and intentional. It means dealing with your life circumstances in a way that glorifies Christ above all. Last, in these final three verses of the Gospel of John, the focus shifts to John himself and to his testimony about Jesus. And here we learn to witness to the truth about Christ. Build others up in Christ, spend your whole life for Christ, and witness to the truth about Christ. That's in verses 23 through 25. John lived to write his gospel last out of all four gospel accounts. John's gospel was likely written between A.D. 40 and A. Uh, excuse me, uh, it was written between 40 and 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so that tells us that John would have been an old man by then maybe in his 70s, maybe in his 90s. In verse 23, he refutes an opinion that was spreading among Christians that because of what Jesus had said to Peter about John, Jesus was prophesying that John would not die before Jesus came back. And so you could imagine if they misunderstood that, they would think well, as long as John is alive, we know the Lord is coming back. But then, you know, if John died, then maybe they missed the boat. But John corrects that. He wants the world to know that that opinion about what Jesus meant is wrong. And now we know. Of course, it's been 2,000 years and we continue to wait for the return of Christ. John is long gone to be with Christ in heaven. John lived a long life of powerful witness to the truths about Christ's life, his resurrection, and his promises. Look one more time at these last verses, 24 and 25, with me. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. If you know Christ... There is nothing better than you can do 
than to spend your whole life building others up in Christ and witnessing to the truth about Christ to anyone and everyone who will listen to you. That's how John lived out his days. He wrote this down. He wrote this gospel. And there are millions upon millions all around the world, most of them dead and with the Lord, some of them perhaps in this room right now, who have heard his testimony and trusted in Christ. And they have eternal life because of it. It is the truest thing in the whole world that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in Him, you may have eternal life. The gospel is the truth that our loving, sovereign, holy God created everything, including every single one of you, creating you in His image, intending for you and I to live in a completely obedient relationship with him, full of love and respect and honor and blessing. But we were born in sin and with a bent to disobedience. And from the very first years of our life, all of us can look back and see that we've disobeyed him in small ways, in big ways, but always. And because of that, we live in spiritual darkness. We live apart from Christ. We live alienated from God and His blessings. But God in His great love has not left us in that situation. He sent His only Son into the world who took on flesh, the form of a man, He lived as Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago. And he lived in perfect obedience to his Father. He lived such that when that time came, he went to the cross and died a death that he didn't deserve. The Son of God, nailed to a cross shamefully, treated as a criminal, a sinless man for sinful people. And then he rose from the grave. And because he's alive, we can proclaim this Jesus, that anyone who trusts in him, anyone who repents of their sin and clings to him, who loves him because he's forgiven their sins, they have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what John wanted you and I to know more than anything. Trust in Jesus. He is the source of eternal life. Like John, we're called and privileged to bear witness to Christ until he calls us home. Pray for your non-Christian friends and your enemies, too. Invite them to church and to gatherings with others who know Christ. Don't be afraid to ask them what they believe and tell them what you believe and why you believe it. This is a great place Dubai, the UAE, to share the gospel of Jesus. Put a note in your Bible with these people's names written on it or put a reminder on your phone to pray for them. Put a post-it note in your car when you drive to work. Bear witness to Christ. 
And just like the fact that there were countless other things that Jesus said and did which are not written down, so there is so much more for you and I to learn about Jesus as we walk with him. What's written in the scripture is enough for us. It's sufficient for us to come to faith and and to live a life pleasing to him. But Jesus is alive. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, and He is infinite in wisdom and blessing and goodness and knowledge. And you know Him if you're trusting in Him. We who know Him know that there's always more to learn about Him and to learn from Him. And the Spirit takes the testimony of His Word and applies it to us in different ways at different moments in our lives Because we have the Spirit, we can have an intimate, ongoing relationship with Him where we grow in Him until He calls us home. What marks the life of a Christian? Building others up in Christ? Spending your whole life for Christ? Witnessing to the truth about Christ? Let's keep following him together, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory. We honor you, Lord God, because you sought us out through your Savior, Jesus. And through the Spirit, you applied his saving work in our lives. And we were born again. You've opened our eyes to who he is. Lord, we pray that you would, through us, open the eyes of others around us here in this city. We pray, Lord, that our lives would bear these marks of a true Christian. And we pray, Father, that you would add to our numbers and cause us to grow in you. In Christ's name, amen.